This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, this is Jen Pilcher, Navy spouse of 23 years. And when I'm not helping military spouses connect in our digital community, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and on today's show, let's meet the Marie Kondo of personal finance, best-selling author, Ken Honda. Plus, it's Cats Up Day. I don't know what a sup is, but I got a cat. That might come into play, huh? Anyway, in our headline segment, while everyone obsesses over fund and advisor fees, the Justice Department is obsessed about another fee, hidden realtor commissions. We'll also throw out the Haven Lifeline to a lucky listener and save time for my Cats Up flavored trivia. And now, two guys who are celebrating that apparently it's also Moonshine Day, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. No moonshine for me because it is Wednesday. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to the party in the basement. I'm Joe Saul Cihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, just so you know who's who. And here's the guy who's not the fake OG on Twitter. He is the real OG, who is the original character that uh, Tracy Morgan portrays on his show. That's right. I never knew you were from Brooklyn and now we're Mm -hmm. in the penal system. Yeah, well... I thought it was a pretty fair representation. The writers took some liberties with by the Vax story, but um, that's okay. Yeah, but you and Tracy Morgan have the same basic life attitude. We sure do. That guy's so funny. <laughs> Isn't he hilarious? Yeah. He yeah. is He is such a great comedian. No comedy on today's show, though. Oh, straight lace. Got it. Very straight lace, because Ken Honda's here, man. I have to tell you, this philosophy of Ken's, the happy money philosophy, is I am down with this. I am totally... Our good friend, our mutual friend, Paula Pant and I had like a two-hour conversation about Ken and about this philosophy that we're going to talk about with him today. Happy money. Happy money. On today's show. You know how I find more happy money, OG? I head to magnifymoney.com. Magnify money for your happy money. Yes. I go to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. And you know what I find there? 
I find better interest rates on checking savings, all kinds of stuff. You know, it's so here's a little short story. Uh, one headline that I saw today was this big CNBC headline that Wealthfront, the robo advisor firm, now has a money market. Guess what it's paying? Two, Two and point a, something. Five. And Magnify Money has several of them. And it's presented like this big, big, big deal. I'm like, but our listeners know that's a commodity, babe. It's a commodity. If you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money. I mean, go to Wealthfront to get on the train, but the stackers have been there for a long time. Also, thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare like Gertrude and I with a special offer. Two months unlimited access to over 27,000 classes on Skillshare for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. I told Gertrude, it's okay to binge on those, but trying to do all 27,000 during the two-month free period is <laughs> a little difficult. Probably probably time to, to pump the brakes, maybe a little. Well, we're not pumping the brakes on today's show. We got Ken Honda waiting for us, but first we've got a little headline about the Justice Department, OG. So let's get rolling. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show, our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Market Watch. This is written by Andrea Riquier. Hidden realtor commissions could be next housing market domino to topple as government probes MLS. You familiar with the MLS? Mm-hmm. Yep. The MLS multiple is the listing service, multiple listing service. And that's when you put your house on the market, you put it on the MLS, you can put your house on the MLS and lots of people see it. Well, let's take a quick look at what Andrea writes. Another potential blow has been struck against a longstanding way in which real estate agents get paid. In April, the Department of Justice wrote to CoreLogic, a real estate software provider, demanding the company turn over information on how it works with multiple listing services, the locally owned and operated compilations of real estate data. The civil investigative demand concerned potential antitrust law violations, Justice said, specifically practices that may unreasonably restrain competition in the provision of residential real estate brokerage services in local markets in the United States. Not the first time the Justice Department has taken an interest in how competition gets stifled in the residential real estate market, and the April demand joins another high-profile legal case, a lawsuit filed in March, which charges that real estate brokerages and their industry group conspire to keep agent commissions artificially high. Yeah, (laughs) I would too when I'm getting 6% of a $700,000 house sale. (laughs) Is there any new news here? In the American way of transacting real estate, buyers never have any reason to demand a higher level of service or a lower fee from their own broker since the seller is essentially paying the tab for both sides. And often when sellers try to offer fees lower than the 3% that's standard across most of the country, brokers tend to steer buyer clients away from those listings, even if the house was a good fit. Hmm. I wonder if you could use the word broker for any other financial transaction that one does throughout one's life other than real estate, like, uh, oh, like stock broker or financial broker. Hmm. So basically there's people out there that will not do what's in your best interest because their incentives don't match up with yours. Well, and you see people that try to get lower fees in this particular market and It's so frustrating because I've had friends have this happen. They put their house up for sale by owner 
and the house doesn't move and it's a gorgeous house. All they're trying to do is save a few thousand bucks on, on realtor fees. A few thousand? No, it's, it's, it's tens of thousands. I, I mean, a few thousand would be, no, seriously, a yes. few thousand would be if you're selling a hundred thousand dollar house, right? That's a few thousand. You sell a $200,000 house. Now it's $10,000. That's more than a few. 12. Yeah. And so if you're at like, I don't know what the average house price is these days, but if you're selling a $450,000, $500,000 McMansion, dude, that's 30 grand, man. Somebody that's- somebody talking about their half million dollar house in uh, San Francisco online the other day. Half, It's like a cardboard box. <laughs> set up in an office parking lot. That's an a, alley. That, that's a $30,000 commission. But to be fair... There's, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's really funny because I've had these discussions with realtors and no offense to realtors, you know, everybody's got to make money. I get it. But it seems like there's some diminishing return there. I mean, even in the financial planning space, you might charge 1%, but you don't charge 1% on 10 million. It starts to edge down pretty quickly. You know, once you get past this initial number, whatever your personal firm's number is, so to speak. And it doesn't seem like that happens as much in the realtor space. It's like, so if I sold a $3 million house, commission's still 6%. It's like, isn't there some sort of cap break point? Yeah. <laughs> like, some, like some kind of discount. Right. No, even in the mutual fund industry, if, if you pay an upfront commission on your funds, if you buy X amount of American funds all at once, a good fund yeah. company, but one that traditionally has a commission attached, you will pay less money if you invest more money. And it doesn't even have to all go in the same fund. You can put or, it in. Or at the same time, you can promise to do it in advance over a certain period of time. You can say, I'm going to give you this, I'm going to invest this amount of money over this period of time, and they'll aggregate that total amount, even hypothetically, and say, well, because of that, we're going we're gonna to lower dollar one of your costs. And we still hate on that, and yet there's crickets when we talk about uh, yeah. this, this real estate game. But I love the way this is set up. I mean, imagine if... There were commissions on funds, but the person trying to get out paid the entire commission for the buyer, uh-huh. uh, paid the commission for the buyer and the seller. It would be the same thing. Like the seller yeah. has to get out. They pay nothing to get in. So they're like, hey, I mean, this is basic human motivation. Oh, I can get in for free. Cool. Oh, I got to pay a big fee later. Well, but that's not till I yeah, sell. That's later. That's, that's later. later. I'm not worried about it. it Cost me nothing now. So I go ahead and I get in and then I pay. <laughs> that I paid this monster commission to cover the person buying my shares and paying to get out my, my own commission on both sides, there would be, there would seriously be a lot less grumbling about fees. Yeah. And could you imagine if there was also the backhanded nature of like, well, Jack's selling his house at 4% commission instead of six. So right. now as a, now I'm not going to show you that mutual fund. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you about that mutual fund. Cause that one, uh, Merrill, pay me as good. Merrill Lynch is steering every, all their clients away from that trade, or yeah. they set up like an exchange that doesn't include any of those trades. Like, Hey, you can sell it to your buddy, Bob for that if you want, but if you want to sell it on the exchange, <laughs> yeah, you, no. you want to be one of the cool kids. Yeah. Paying full boat. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal how that that just setting it up the correct way, kids, is how you make a ton of money and not have people complain about it. That is the key to the whole thing. I'll link to this on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. And by the way, we obviously can't solve the real estate commission issue today, but this brings up a bunch of conundrums, OG. Number one, 
work with a realtor or not work with a realtor, I'm all for working with a realtor. I mean, hey, I want my house to get sold. If I'm somebody who's who's selling a property and I, I've got to move, I'm going to bite the bullet and get in that system because outside that system is ugly. They do have some expertise that I don't know about. I know I'm going to pay through the nose for it. But if I find a good realtor, I mean, when I was in Texas and we were moving to Michigan, our house sold in two days and it sold for reasons I would not have done on my own. We overpaid like hell to get our house sold, but I didn't have to worry about it. It was, Mm -hmm. it was done. It was done right. Done the first time. All the I's dotted, T's crossed. I'm out of there. And you paid out the nose for it. And I paid out the nose for it. And I'm still happy. I'm still alive. The other issue here is negotiating fees with your realtor. I mean, historically, I always thought that was the way to do it, right? My my realtor and I did some negotiation. Once again, I had a time frame, and so I didn't negotiate as heavily as I probably could have. Plus, as we'll hear with Ken Honda, I have kind of a personal philosophy on that. Maybe we can talk about it later. But I negotiated the amount of time more than the fee. I know that if my hot investment house doesn't sell in the first few days, the realtor's going to ignore it until a few days before it's time to re-up, right? So right. I negotiated the amount of time. I'm like, no, 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 you're not getting it for six months. You are not getting it for six months. Mm-hmm. You're going to get it for three. And she said, that's not enough time. And I said, either you got it for three or you don't have it. And she told me all the reasons it wasn't enough time. And I said, well, do you want it? And she goes, okay. she goes, yeah, I'll take it. Yep. And then it was sold in two days. And it was sold in two days. Yes. Yeah. So apparently you were, you overshot by two months and 28 days. I, know. I will pay you all the money that you ask for, but I want the ability to fire you very soon if it doesn't sell because I know about how atrophy works in that market. Yeah. You get to pick, I mean, this is no different than any other sort of negotiation, right? You can pick the money or you can pick the terms. Which one of those two do you want? Yeah. Well, I want the money. Then I get the terms. Yeah. If, if you want the terms, then I get to pick the money. Yeah. Yeah. And I had three people use our realtor very successfully because I recommended them afterwards. So she ended up winning big. You know, mm-hmm. she got what she wanted. I got what I wanted. Our second headline comes to us from financial planning. This is good news. If you have an HSA available, OG, did you see this from the IRS? Clients can save more into HSAs next year. Yep. Uh, this is written by Catherine Mayer, but it's obviously available everywhere. Clients are going to be able to uh, sock away some extra money into their health savings accounts. The annual limit on deductible contributions to an HSA will jump by 50 bucks for individuals and $100 for families next year, the IRS announced. For, yeah, big money. The 2019, for 2019, the annual limit on deductible contributions will be 3550 for individuals with self-only coverage, a $50 increase from 2019, and 7100 for family coverage, a $100 increase from 2019. The minimum deductible for a qualifying high-deductible health plan also will increase to $1,400 for self-only coverage and 2800 for family coverage. Annual out-of-pocket expenses will see an even bigger jump next year. Well, that's fun. Yes. Deductibles, and this is the ugly underbelly. Deductibles, co-payments, and other amounts that do not include premiums will have a maximum limit of $6,900 for individual coverage next year, up from $6,750. So that that went up $150 and 13800 for family coverage, up from 13500 in 2019. I still think when I look at HSAs 
Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs. I think HSAs are our number one. More than ever, I'm thinking you save their first OG because it's in tax-free. Like fill this up before you fill up your Roth IRA. I don't know. I get your opinion on this because it goes in tax-free. It comes out tax-free. So where the Roth gives you one end of the stick, the traditional gives you the other, this potentially gives you both. Yeah, I think so. Except for the fact that just the mental image of what that account is for has people use it a little bit more frequently. You know, when you look at your Roth IRA, you don't think I could use this for a broken arm. Although technically you certainly could, right? Yeah. But you look at your HSA and you go, boy, I had a lot out of, out of pockets this year. The HSA works really, really, really fantastically if you can also then cover the out-of-pocket costs. If you can do both, then, you know, the HSA works great. If all you're doing is filling it up and, and emptying it out on an annual basis, whatever your out-of-pocket is, that's that's what you should put in there. But for a long-term savings vehicle, it works really great if you can if you can do both of those things. Yeah, I know it's hard, but if you can, and this is the part of the strategy most people don't realize, is that you can keep those receipts forever and declare them 25 years from now using interest on the money that you made, which uh, I think, Koji, is your point. That uh, yeah. So where a lot of people use an HSA the wrong way, they'll just cover these deductibles. I know it's very difficult, but if you can come up with somehow enough money to cover that out-of-pocket expense somewhere else and hold on to that money as tax-free for a longer period of time, your interest could potentially pay these bills down the road. Yep. That'll save you a bunch of money if you can just make that work. If you no, can do both, yeah. Yeah. No, another place that saves you money, OG? Heading to magnifymoney.com using our link at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnifymoney. Thanks to them for supporting Stacking Benjamins. I have to say that when you go to Magnify Money, the average person saves 450 bucks. Well, I don't have to say that, but I will say that because it's true. You're contractually <laughs> obligated to say this. <laughs> I may be. However, I want to say it because who doesn't like saving money? And I love it when somebody comes out and says, hey, we have this interest rate. Why would you go just one place that is selling you on X interest rate when you can go to the number one place online to compare and contrast a wide variety. In fact, 92% of all the things that are available online, you can find compared at magnified money and different than some sites who I will, I almost mentioned, but I don't think I will mention, but most sites will move to the top, all of the reciprocal arrangement opportunities that they have. Sure. Just like a realtor. Yeah. Exactly. Here are all the 6% commission houses. Down. And you might find a list somewhere of the 5% ones. I'm not sure where that list would be. I know that looks like a great house, but because it's only a 3% commission. Yeah. I, the, I forgot the code to the door in the front, but let me show you this one over here. There's probably some sketchiness with this house because this guy is cheap. As they're opening the door, they're like, so I wonder if they got rid of the blood yet from the dead body. <laughs> oh, it looks like they did. Come on in, guys. The good news is the house isn't that haunted. Come on in. Come on in. None of those shenanigans, as mom says, at Magnify Money. And by the way, there's a wide range of products, whether it's uh, checking accounts or savings accounts like we talked to about before. There's also credit cards. If you pay them off in full, you can play the reward point game. If you have credit card debt because you tried that and you didn't pay them off, which by the way, 
you shouldn't try that unless you have a system of paying off your cards every single month. You can look at 0% interest cards, introductory 0% cards, low interest cards, consolidation loans, student loan refinance, and a lot more. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash magnify money for more. I can't tell you how many times I'm still talking to people on a weekly basis who are like, yeah, I got 50 grand in my savings account at Chase. Yeah, I got 50 grand. I got 100 grand at Bank of America. I've got $75,000 at the credit union. And all those are great places, but you're leaving money on the table. Guy in our forum just posted today the the news about Wealthfront. Man, this, this looks good. This looks fantastic. You think I Head should slap? You think I should do it? Really? We talk about magnify money all the time here, dude. No. Don't get me wrong, I may do it. Nothing against Wealthfront except that that one fund. But go ahead. <laughs> except for that one fund they force you to put your money in. So, <laughs> that, that ex- they, except for the thing that sucks that's twice as expensive and <laughs> they're shenanigans. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you enjoy the play? Don't look at that. Stay over here with the Shiny mirrors. Shiny object. More dogs, more ponies. Much better to compare at Magnify Money. StackyBenjamins.com forward slash Magnify Money for more. I think our takeaways here, OG, is uh, HSAs. If you can swing it, max that thing out, especially if you can leave the money there long term. When it comes to hidden realtor fees, I don't know, OG, that there's much that we can do about it. I think just being aware of what you're paying and maybe the big takeaway is what you said about negotiating those, the term or the fee, you get to decide one of them. Coming down to the basement is a guy that I've been super excited to talk to. This gentleman, Ken Honda, is Japan's number one best-selling personal development guru. And he is a guy who, if you've ever studied Eastern philosophy, is a master at the Eastern philosophy of money. His new book out is called Happy Money, and it goes over that getting rich quick is no way to achieve happiness. And of course, money for a lot of us out there in the audience, it causes fear, it causes stress, it causes anger, it breaks apart relationships, marriages, ruins people's lives. Obviously, money's just a piece of paper, but oh gee, we bring a lot of emotion to the table. And that's Mm -hmm. what Ken talks about is emotionally, how do you handle money? This this philosophy, uh, well... Let's let you hear about it from the man himself. Ken Honda, coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement. Well, I'm so happy he's here with us. Ken Honda is here. How are you, man? Great. Thank you. I'm so excited to be on your show. I, I listen to your show and it's so fun and entertaining. And I'm sure you're uplifting a lot of people with a topic of money. Well, just remember, if anybody learns anything, Ken, they have to keep it to themselves. So just remember that. <laughs> I want to start with your early days with yes. money. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that you studied everything you could get your hands on about finance in the early days. What types of people did you meet as you were studying as many people as possible? I had a very unique childhood. My father is a very successful accountant, and he wanted me to be very successful at a very young age. So he started teaching me everything about money, about the mindset and also the money IQ part, which is taxes and uh, how to make sales and how to keep customers. 
So he used to take me to the shopping mall nearby, and he just asked me to uh, point out which shop makes the biggest sale and profit. And at the time, you know, the fish market, you know, it's very busy. So I thought fish market. And then he said, wrong. You know, a lot of people buy fish, but it's cheap. So they have to work so hard. And right next to it is a mattress store. And right next to it is a real estate agent. And then uh, if you sell one house, you can live on for like a month or two. But if you, even if you sell one fish, you could probably get a soda or something. So he taught me about the essence of business. So I was a very financially savvy, acute child. But you met all kinds of different people. And it seems like, Mm -hmm. and and in fact, I want to actually quote you from your book because I love this quote. You say, I'm going to share a little something with you. It doesn't matter how much you have or make. It's your feelings about money that determine your wealth. Explain that to me. Yes. So my father used to take his clients home. So I, I had a chance to meet them. And I realized that there are two kinds of people around money, happy people and not happy people. And it's not how much you have or how much you make. It's about how they deal with money. If they're doing what they love and happy customers, happy employees, and they are in heaven. Whereas even though if you make a a lot of money, if you're struggling, trying to take advantage of customers or all these uh, other people, you're very miserable. And I could tell that as a child because child sees things through. And I realized, ooh, I don't want to be wealthy, but very unhappy. It's funny that you say that because I know so many frustrated people that have a lot of money and you wonder what they have to be frustrated about. But you point out that we all have the same fears, like people with lots of money have fears. People middle income have fears. It doesn't matter how much money you have. The mindset then is everything. Mm -hmm. And later I found that there are two kinds of happy people, happy people with money and happy people without money. And if I could choose, I'd rather be happy people with money. (laughs) That's how I sort of started my journey with money. You tell a story at the beginning of your book about a woman going through your wallet and she's she's looking at the different bills and talking about them. Uh, Can you tell that story? I was approached by uh, this mysterious woman. She asked me if she could take a look at my wallet. And uh, at the time, Japanese people were very curious about uh, wealthy people and celebrities and what kind of wallet they use. You know, you want to kind of see what kind of wallet Justin Bieber has. And that's the Japanese people think. So I said, pretty people are trustworthy at the party. So, okay, you can just take a look, but make sure that you give it back to me. And she was just checking my bills. She took all the bills out and she was doing something. And she said, this is good, this is great, or this is nice. And then she put back all the bills and gave my wallet back to me. And she said, Ken, all your money is good. And I asked her, what's good about it? And she said, your money is smiling. That shows you make people happy and receive money. On the other hand, if people are trying to take advantage of other people, or if, if people do what they don't like and receive money, your money is crying in a wallet sometimes angry. And I was like, wow, that is interesting. And that's uh, the first time I started to see money as energy. And that's funny because you say that in the book that there's, you know, money when it comes down to it. And I love this analogy is just a, I mean, it's, it's either a piece of paper 
or maybe it's an electronic thing that we have, you know, uh, attached to our phone or whatever it might be. And yet everything around money is emotions. There's this whole emotional component. Yes. In fact, I think, Ken, you call it emotional garbage at some right. point. Yes. And later I found out, as I studied about money, the people who are so genius, but who lose everything, sometimes you, you know, hear all those stories. And I found out they're financially savvy and intelligent, but they're so messed up emotionally. So unless you heal these wounds that everybody has from childhood, we are weird with money. You know, we, we tend to be fearful of money. We want to take control of money. And it's because we, we see money, money as security, money as freedom. We see all kinds of things around money. But money is neutral. So unless we deal with what I have about money, we cannot be free and, and peaceful. That's what I found out. And that's what I've been teaching hundreds of thousands of Japanese people. And I have them become financially free. In both emotionally and financially. Well, and obviously in the seven minutes that I have left with you, we're not going to be able to make people <laughs> completely free. But but, yes. where, but where do people start then, Ken? If you want your money to be happy money, where do we begin? Joe, that's a beautiful question. I asked the same question to my mentor, who is Wahei Takeda, who's called Warren Buffett of Japan. He's one of the wealthiest uh, Japanese person investor and also a great businessman, very generous man. He said, when the money comes in, say, arigato your money. And the money goes out, also, arigato your money. In other words, arigato in, arigato out. So when you receive money, just say thank you. And when you spend money, also say thank you. Because uh, we are doing the the opposite thing. When we uh, receive money, we are so frustrated. Why, you know, why is this, this amount? I'm so uh, upset. You know, some people are taking, must be taking advantage of me. And when we spend it, we do that with guilt and also resentment. Oh, I don't want to pay taxes. I don't want to pay electric bills and all, all, all these things. So instead of frustration, deal with money in gratitude. And once you deal with gratitude, a lot of interesting things happens. One, you will probably stop worrying about money because Wahe said you cannot focus on money gratitude and money worry at the same time. It's how human mind functions. So if you keep appreciating money coming in, money going out, you have fun with money. And if you forget after a few days, you realize that, oh, I forgot to worry about money. So it really is then, I mean, what I'm hearing from you, Ken, is it's about self-talk. It sounds like yes. I'm, I'm doing very positive self-talk with myself about my money. Yes, it's so true. Because when think about it, you know, there, are, there could be so many accountants, dry cleaners, and out of all those people, they hired you. And that's amazing that they chose you to give their precious money to. So you can say, thank you. Thank you for the money you're giving it to me. So you appreciate your clients and bosses more. And I had uh, um, a student of mine who was a secretary who realized this, and then she started appreciating uh, to her boss about the job she's given. And a few weeks later, she got a big raise. So if you appreciate, people appreciate back to you, and that's a human nature. So if you keep uh, start appreciating, a lot of great things happen. And it's not a spiritual thing, it's, it's a very psychological thing, and it's very, it happens so easily. Uh, you mentioned this quite a bit, it's the law of attraction. Yes, and also, you have to take a look at other things in our 
totally different way. For example, debt. A lot of people worry about debt. They feel burdened about debt. But debt is something that people trusted uh, you. So debt is a symbol of love and trust when you think about it that way. You know, a stranger, banks, uh, whoever your friends, they trusted you that they're, you're going to pay back the loan. So instead of feeling burdened, you can feel trust. Ah, oh, I didn't know I, I, I have that much trust. So if you just uh, transform your relationship with money, you feel much, much lighter. So instead of feeling the burden of that, just feel the joy of trust. You're being trusted by banks. And uh, interest is a way of appreciating them. So if you just transform your ideas about money, you'll be happier and you end up making more money, receiving money, and you find yourself in the cycle of happy money. There's a lot of us who would like to be trusted by banks a heck of a lot less, though, Ken. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're talking about credit card score, right? Yes. And it's the same thing. It's a trust. And instead of like feeling like miserable and frustration, you just keep your trust higher. That's what Wahe taught us. You have to be trustworthy to be successful in business. And it's exactly the same thing. If you do what what you're right and what you're supposed to do, your credit card goes sky high. Yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you, by the way, about your mentor. I want to to Uh take just a second for this. You tell some stories about him. He owned a candy company. Yes. And he's like uh, in uh, Nagoya, where Toyota is. Mm -hmm. He's like a Charlie and Chocolate Factory guy. He built a huge castle for sweets because he, he made fortune by selling cookies for kids. So in return, he wanted to do some great favors. So he built this sweet castle and invited all the children to enjoy cooking and learning about how to make sweets. And he always uh, carried gold coins in his pockets. So whenever he finds a beautiful smile, he gives this real genuine gold coin to the best smile of the day. And that's what that was his fun. And he said, I'm buying his or her lifetime of smile. It's a great shopping. That's who he was. He passed away three years ago. Did he really? He just sounds like, uh, well, you say in the book, he's the happiest man you ever met. Yes, he's the most generous. And uh, I learned so much about uh, generosity and also uh, how he gets so lucky in investment, in his life. And I've learned so much. uh, But his answers are very zen. So he doesn't answer me back and write. When I say, you know, uh, which company should I invest? And uh, he says, you have to see the companies through your heart. If the company is making people happy, you should invest in the company. And I ask him, how do I do that? You have to have a beautiful heart to be able to figure out the other ones. So, you know, his uh, <clears throat> teaching is very zen. So, <laughs> but I really enjoyed it. So I'm yeah. going to probably write another book on that. And what book number would that be? Because you've written uh, many, many books <laughs> yes. already. Yeah, I've written more than 50 books and sold about uh, almost 8 million copies in Japan. And I'm leaving Japan and expanding to 40 different countries. My book is going to be out in about a year. Wow. And the first one is coming out very soon in the U.S. and uh, U.K. and Australia at the same time. And that's got to be exciting also. I want to leave with one big concept that you have in the book, and it's financial. You have financial IQ and EQ. And I think these are really yes. important for our listeners to understand to, to understand uh-huh. your concepts. Can you explain the right. difference between those two? Financial IQ is something of the, a lot of teachers and the consultants deal. It's about taxes, marketing, how to uh, run business. It's a, a 
knowledge side. And money EQ is more of a wisdom side. It's an emotional side. You know, you have to be able to receive well. We are so good at giving, but we are suck at uh, receiving. And also appreciating is another key. Uh, we forget to appreciate in our life in general about our money, about the job, about the family members, about the people who work with. And number three is a trust. Trust in money or trust in money flow is the hardest thing in life. And the last one is uh, share. Sharing is the most beautiful thing you can do on this planet. And you don't have to be super wealthy. You can share a dollar with somebody and then that gives you joy and also sends a message to you that you have more than enough. And this feeling of having more than enough gives you so peace, uh, so much peace and security. And so instead of accumulating wealth, you have to find or seek happiness and security and peace in yourself. That's what I teach. I absolutely love that concept completely because I, I don't know, especially in the financial field, as you know, Ken, so many people are chasing something and they're never going to find it. They, they will never so find true. it. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I want to ask you one more thing. There is a craze which is going across the United States right now, this force of nature called Marie Kondo. I, I read your book and I'm reading Marie. I feel like I'm reading Marie Kondo for money. Do you, and I've heard, other, I've heard other people say that. Do you appreciate that, that comparison or not? I really respect her work. Uh, actually, she publishes from the same publisher oh, uh, with me. I have, yeah, I have a lot of uh, mutual friends and she does incredibly beautiful work. And I, I actually do, you know, Marie Kondo in my, in my office and my home. And uh, I do uh, have a very similar view on money. So uh, it's like a sparkling joy. Yeah. If you feel like you should feel uh, you should spend the money out of joy, that's good. That's happy money. And if you feel like, ooh, I don't want to do that, or you know, grab money, I call it yucky money. So it's more like a heart-based uh, way of living. So I, I think it, our teachings are very similar. It read very similar, and I ate it up every page. Uh, the book is called Happy Money. The Japanese art of making peace with your money, and it's everywhere, Ken? Yeah, it'll be at a major airport in June and July, and then probably after that, and uh, all over U.S., Canada, U.K., Australia, and other 40 countries um, coming along. Well, thank you for spending a few minutes with us on Stacky Benjamins and talking about making your money happy or making you happy. <laughs> thank you so much, Joe. It's been a privilege, and this is a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and cat's update doesn't quite make too much sense to me. I mean, longtime listeners know just how much I love cats, and I've been sitting here telling Joe's mom's cat, Cooper, all day, sup, dude, and he just sits there looking at me, flipping me off. So I am here to tell you this is a horrible, ill-conceived holiday. Instead, looking at my calendar, I think it's better to focus on National Moonshine Day. Now look, I've mooned many people in my time, and come to think of it, those festivities might be a little meta because moonshine provoked some moonshine, if you know what I mean. So how about this trivia? While USA listeners are familiar with moonshine in relation to fast cars, illegal speakeasies, and the 1930s, the term moonshine was originally conceived in a different country. Which one? I'll be back with the answer just after I see what Joe's mom's cooking. 
We talk a lot about learning on this show, and it's funny when Ken talked about gratitude earlier and about being thankful. We're thankful that we have some resources that we can share, which are fantastic places to learn from. How about when you learn, learning from the best and the brightest so you avoid mistakes later? Well, a place that we really like is Skillshare. It's an online learning community for creators with more than 27,000 classes in design business and more. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and enhance your career. You could take classes in just about anything, uh, financial planning, if you'd like, accounting, bookkeeping. There's all kinds of business classes for our business, of course, social media marketing. I took a great class in photography. You can take creative writing. Gertrude's done a couple on illustration that have been fantastic and have helped us a lot. But even more than that, they're pretty fun. So whether you're looking to start a new side hustle or maybe just discover a new passion, give yourself some new professional skills with a Z, Skillshare's there to keep you learning and thriving. To sign up, head to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. And if you use our code, that uh, Skillshare.com forward slash SB, you'll get two months of Skillshare for free. It's funny, I remember Tom Peters, the one of my favorite management gurus, talking about how nobody wants to be bad at their job, and yet we wait for other people to train us, to get them, to give us the skills that we need to succeed. Why wouldn't you create your own curriculum? With Skillshare, you can do that. You can join millions of students already learning on Skillshare. They've taken the reins. Get two months of Skillshare for free. Skillshare is giving the whole Stacker community two months unlimited access, over 27 thousand classes for free at skillshare.com forward slash SB. Hey there, money podcast lovers. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And here on moonshine and cats up day, I actually remember that after a fairly significant moonshine evening, the cat and I, we did have a chat. He wasn't really into cats up. He could tell a mean joke about these guys in the outhouse. though. <laughs> It was just, oh, it was blue and a little off color, but oh my God, it was funny. But, oh, my head still hurts thinking about that night. Hey, here's something serious, though. Today's trivia answer. The question was this. While USA-based listeners might think of us still out behind the house creating moonshine in the countryside, the term moonshine was actually created in another country. Where? Well, here you go. The term moonshine dates back to the 18th century of England, where it was used to refer to spirits illegally distilled or smuggled into England. Also known as moonlight in the 19th century, moonshine has a long history of creating awkward moments in places other than your family picnic. Good news, huh? See ya! Big thanks to Ken Honda. I love this idea that money won't make you happy. Don't get me wrong. More money gives you lots of opportunity. But if you're an unhappy person, more money will make you an unhappy person with more money. That's right. Yeah. Just great stuff. I also really love, and we didn't have much, we didn't have enough time to really get into that. I like the idea of losing a little bit of money in your negotiations, like leaving some on the table because 
your life is about relationships and if people like working with you and they want to work with you and they feel like it's profitable working with you, you will always have opportunities presented to you by those people. Right. Well, I take this approach when it comes to people working for me. And I don't mean like staff, like assistants or something. I mean, like when I go to hire somebody to do a project, we had somebody come and paint a bedroom or we had somebody install uh, an appliance in our house. They had to kind of build out a shelf for it or whatever, a construction person. And I could tell the moment this guy, so this guy comes in, we tell him what we want to do. And he's like, okay, yeah. And he's kind of thinking and he's, and I know what's going through his head. He's thinking, okay, what number could I tell him that's respectful enough for my time? Cause this is a pretty easy project, but it's respectful enough for my time that I make a few bucks but it gives me enough wiggle room so when he barters with me, I can come down a little bit and I still don't, you know what I mean? Like I could tell yeah. he was, you know, he's like, all right, so I think, I, you know, I could do, um, uh, uh, so let's do, uh, let's, let's, let's do 500 for one. Cause I had to do two. He goes, uh, let's do 500 for one. And, um, I guess I could probably do, and I go, cool. So about two, a thousand for both of them. And he just stopped. He goes, uh, yeah, that would be a thousand for both of them. I said, great. Um, here's a check for half of it. And he's like, Oh uh, no, that's not necessary. I go, yeah, it is. You know, you're going to set aside some time to get this done. And he's like, well, I, you know, I'm pretty booked until after Christmas. And I said, no problem. Here you go. Now, some people would think about that and say, Oh, you dude, do that. What were you yeah, doing? What, what, what if he leaves? What if he runs away with your money? Well, first of all, it's not the end of the world if he absconds with 500 bucks. I'm not going to be happy. And don't get but- me wrong. But, well, just as an aside, so we can kind of lay some parameters out here, that this also depends on your financial condition right now. For some people, you're going to have to play that much closer to the vest. Well, sure, but you're not also going to be negotiating with a painter. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. you're not talking to a guy to do some home remodel project if you don't have the money to do the home remodel project. Yeah, there's a point where you should just be doing that yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just so much good karma and goodwill out there that you gain from that. Now, if I ever have another project and I call this guy up, I bet you he calls me right back. Turns out he didn't have any availability till after Christmas. But guess what? He called two days later and went, I had a cancellation. Can I come over and just check this out this afternoon? We went, sure. He came over, whistled while he worked. Boom, boom, boom. He's like, hey, I think I'm all wrapped up. I go, here's your check. Have a nice day he made what he asked. You know what I mean? Like it just worked better as opposed to the other side of that, which is I probably could have gotten to 800 bucks instead of a thousand. When, when I was on the number 62 on the list, when I was on the other side of this, when I was a financial planner, you know, the customer service industry, and I was somebody's agent, there were people who I loved being their agent. And there were other people I couldn't stand being their agent. They beat me up all the time. They blame me for everything. They consistently were negative. They were not fun to work with. And so just psychically, I did less for those people. And I think there's a segment of our population that just doesn't get that. Like, you don't have to be Joe Gregarious, fun-loving. Hey, let's mm-hmm. just, just, j- j- let's just be on the same team. Let's just, yeah. be, let's just be on the same team, and that helps create happy money. Man, it's such a, such a great lesson. I do know some people that take that too far. There's a guy that I knew when I was a financial planner. He always overpaid his people, and he was very proud of that. But he thought that that check was a license to treat people like crap. And, uh, yeah. And, and to just ignore no, you them. you can't do that. No, because you know what? Between having more money and being well-paid, look at, I'm going to use it as an example. Look at Disney. 
and I'm only rolling my eyes because I've used Disney 7,000 times as an example, but you got these people that are not that well paid. And all those people, when you go to the happiest place on earth, they're all singing off that song sheet, man. And you're like, yeah. how do you motivate people to be that happy? And that you look at the way Disney treats their people outside of the paycheck. That's how good stuff. Thanks again to Ken for, for stopping by just, that's a, that is an interview uh, discussion. I'm going to remember for a long time. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. And our friend Charnay down in the basement Facebook group told us it's neighbors that move across the country with you and podcasts that teach you nothing. Isn't that nice? Having Doug move Mm -hmm. across the country with me. I would say there's lots of things more thrilling than that, Charnay. I was going to say, didn't you move across the country with Doug? I moved across the country to try to get away from Doug. And yet. Oh. And he thought, yeah. There there he stays. It's actually your loved ones in your time. And every group of friends has that guy or that that woman. That And if you don't know which one it is in your friends list. It is you. Yeah. It's you. And Doug is that for us. But we do love Doug. And we get more time with him. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Your loved ones happy, and your time. Happy, happy, joy, joy. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple so you can spend more time on those relationships. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote, affordable prices, and backed by Mass Mutual, more than 160 year old insurer. No waiting several weeks for a decision and awesome customer support. Stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. All right, let's throw it out to Cal. Say hi, Cal. Hey, Joe and OG. Funny, I thought I almost learned something from your podcast, but uh uh-oh, my bad, I didn't. Anyway, my question is, I'm a 51-year-old with about $1.5 million in IRAs, will own my house outright in the next 18 months. I have $200,000 in taxable accounts, yada, yada, yada. My question is, I want to semi-retire in the next four years, meaning working part-time, currently make about $250,000 with a 30% savings rate. Plan on subsidizing my post 55 years with my current 401k, which is about $250,000. And I, I think I can do this via IRS. Does this sound like a solid plan? Thanks. Again, hope to hear something new. Peace. Thanks for the question, Cal. I like this question about landing the plane because I think a lot of the time, OG, people are obsessed with getting to the point where Cal is right now, right? We obsess about getting there. And then because we never think about taking money out, what that strategy is, we end up losing a ton of money because of the fact that we didn't set up our approach correctly as we land that plane. Well, let me tell you how I would think about this and um, we'll work through it live because, um, you know, I'm good, but I can't do complex math that fast in my head. So make 250 spending 30% of your money on savings presently, which works out to be about $75,000 a year. Let's reduce that again by another 30% for all of your associated taxes, whatever that may be, Um, federal, state, FICA, whatever you might uh, might have there. So let's say that you're living on $100,000 a year. So the first thing that I want to do is I want to add inflation for the next four years to $100,000, which means about 112000 is the first year's income requirement just to kind of keep up with the rising cost between now and then. So if I got to take out $112,000, uh, the question, of course, is how much money do I need to have? And the number is 
about 2.8 million. So if our goal is 2.8 million and he said about a mil and a half right now. Yeah. And he's saving $75,000 a year and we got four years to get it done. So we'll turn that into monthly because I like to do that better. So 6250 a month for the next four years. And we got to get to $2.8 million. Tells me that your money needs to grow at 12% a year between now and four years from now to be able to pull this off, which is a number that I would not use to count on for my financial plan. Now, you may get 12% a year for the next four years, which may allow you the ability to kind of get there. You just wouldn't plan on it. I just wouldn't plan on it. Yeah, I would be much closer to maybe uh, 9%. And then uh, that makes that we've got to go probably about five years. And even of, and even nine percent is coming in hot for a plan. I mean, I don't yeah, know about there's you. expectations, and yeah. then there's planning numbers. So right. so kind of depending on. And I think this is what where most people miss it on investments and financial planning is there is a correct way, and I think it's a it's been a theme for the last four or five weeks of episodes. This theme of the correct way to put your money together, it's it's going to be unique to everybody individually. And so if we want to target a rate of return for your portfolio, I want to target it based on the requirements that I have to make my goals work. And what your goals are, Joe, might be different than my goals. So we're going to have different asset allocations. We're going to have different targets of a rate of return. So the idea of, well, what's a good asset allocation? I'm 50. What's a good asset allocation for me? Huh? What's your goals? You know, a 50-year-old with a 20-year time horizon before retirement can afford a different asset allocation than a 50-year-old who's got four years till retirement or five years. So somewhere between that 9 and 12% return is how I would design the investment portfolio and say, well, I know that I can't guarantee that I'm going to get 9% every year or 10% or 11 or 6 or whatever number you pick. But at least if I put the things together that provide me with a real high likelihood of doing that over a long period of time, you may get unlucky. We may have the next three years be three years of down market. And then you go, well, I haven't made any progress. But I wouldn't build my financial plan on hoping I get 12% a year. The one piece that Cal did say is that he wants to semi-retire. So obviously some of that is going to be covered from uh, work income. But then by the same token, if you, you know, then you're basically just in a holding pattern to, to, to use the landing the plane analogy. Uh, you're not actually contributing at that point, you know, to your savings probably. No, you're but you are giving your money savings. longer to that's sit right. before you attack it. So, well, uh, attack it as much. Yeah, that's true. Maybe. So, yeah. so it's probably pretty close in this four to six year time horizon, but a lot of things got to go right would be my guesstimation. And I think if you're listening to that, you can kind of see the spreadsheet that a financial planner will use. You know, I mean, there was. When I was a planner, there was a uh, spreadsheeted out uh, year by year. How much do we anticipate earning? So I can set that benchmark. How much do I anticipate that's earning off my investments? And then how much am I going to earn for those few years that I'm going to count on? And then uh, what are my expenses going to be? And as I met with my clients, because we had those milestones when we got together, we'd see if we were ahead or behind because we knew that what really happened, you might spend more money, your investments might make more or less money, and third, your income will be higher or lower than what we projected. 
So of all those mm-hmm. things, and we see if we're ahead or behind, and then we can we can adjust. And that's why I like the landing a plane analogy, because there will be wind, there's going to be atmospheric conditions, there's going to be traffic, there's going to be all these things that come up, but we still have milestones that we need to reach as we approach the runway. We want to, we need to be at point X. Otherwise we need to respond differently. Like as an example, let's you have to execute a missed approach, (laughs) which we don't want to do. We don't, we we don't want to do that. We want to land at once. Just as an example, let's say that it's two years from now and Cal is $40,000 ahead. Well, he can either spend more money right now and keep working. And that's a discussion about work. He can, stop working sooner. He can just keep living the way that he is now and either pass it on to heirs or, or, uh, plan trips for later on. He's got all these things that he can vote on. And I know as I'm saying those, you're probably listening to this going, yeah, I vote for that one. If that were me, I do that one. And my point would be back to you. How do you know which one you'd vote on unless you've set up those milestones yourself? which is the first thing if I were Cal that I would do. I would set up a series of milestones for the next few years so he can see if he's ahead or behind. Right. Well, the only other thing that I'm going to add to this is a 50 to 55-year retirement age, even partial retirement age, is still very aggressive in the context of life expectancy. You've got still the better part of half of your life ahead of you on average. So... At this point, I also wouldn't be right up to the right up to the limit of aggressiveness and calculations, because the one thing that you can't control is that bad luck, right? The bad timing, the guy who retires just on the edge of making it work on January 1st, 2008, goes on a year long cruise and comes back and goes, hey, how's everything going? You know, it's like, oh, crap. You know, you, you just you just picked an unlucky time to retire and you won't know that it's an unlucky time until, of course, you're into it. So because of that extra early retirement that you're in, I would give myself a lot of margin of safety is what we would call that. So I would, I would build in that into the model as well. And that's the financial component OG, but there's another piece of this that Cal has to seriously think about. And and that is what do you do? And I know there's people that blow through episodes like the one we had last week with Karen Cordaway about bucket list but I got to tell you, my my own dad retired early and the first few years, we had to have a talk with him, OG, a few years into retirement because he started spending time with dudes that were 15 years older than he was and immediately had their aches and pains. Like immediately. <laughs> my, yeah. my dad's health, the first five years that he was retired, deteriorated so much. And I personally believe it was because he no longer had a mission every day. Uh, he had to think more clear. He was so concerned about getting out of this spot that I don't think, and I think he'd even tell you, he didn't think enough about what he was going to do next. And now, yeah. now he's now he's got a full day and full things that he does and work is a distant memory and he stopped hanging out with people significantly. He still hangs out with some of those guys, but he also hangs out with people that are more in his age group. But the problem that Cal might run into at 55 is a lot of his peers are still still working. So what are you going to mm-hmm. do becomes, I think, a big piece of the equation. Agreed. Thanks for that question, Cal. We also have uh, some letters that we're trying to finish up. This one came to us from Adrian. Adrian said, greetings, love the Yo, show. Adrian. You and your guests were talking about opening a Roth IRA for your child. 
You also mentioned you can actually pay your kids for small chores. I was thinking about a thousand dollars a year, realistic, of course, and then save that money into a Roth IRA for kids. Is that true? I read that a child minor can have an IRA only once they earn income. Does it have to be full blown income with W two, etc., or just a simple income from your parents and neighbors, for example? Appreciate the help and keep up the quote good work. <laughs> Thanks, Adrian. Thanks for the question, Adrian. Uh, putting the kids on the payroll, gee, what do you got to do? So a couple of thoughts on the hiring your children. It's certainly a lot easier if you're already a self-employed or you own a business and you can put them on the payroll, but remember that they have to do actual things. You know, you can't just say, I'm going to go pay my kid a thousand bucks and they don't actually have to work. They have to perform some sort of duty and that pay, by the way, needs to be somewhat commensurate with the work that they're doing, right? So you can go out on the open market and get an idea of what that should be. You also want to be aware of any child laws, you know, labor law Child type labor, things. right. <laughs> you know, and then I think the other part is, is that it, it has to be real stuff. So yeah, you have to report it to the IRS. doesn't mean they're going to pay taxes on it because kids have different uh, tax brackets on the first little bit that they make, but it's got to be legitimate stuff. Ultimately, this boils down to a really uh, important conversation you want to have with your tax preparer CPA. Um, Don't take my word for it or Joe's word for it. If you're uh, thinking about doing this for 2019, uh, get with a a tax person, a CPA, and say, how do I do this legally so that everything's good? Because the last thing you want to do is get into a fight with the IRS about your kid's $1,000 Roth IRA, you know? Yeah, I think a great question for a CPA before you do anything. Yes, you can is the answer, but no, when it comes to gifts from grandma or whatever it might be. That's right. Thanks for the questions, guys. If you've got a question, we're taking questions to the Haven Lifeline. So send those this way, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. Or you know what? If you just go to the Stacking Benjamins website at the top, it says questions for the show. Click that link and it will direct you. That's going to do it for today. Thanks to everybody who's left a review of this podcast so that people know just what they're getting into when they listen to an episode of Stacking Benjamins, maybe something a little different than uh, than the financial guru talk out there. This review mom has on her fridge right now, very simple five stars from Brainwash01. You're only hurting yourself by not listening is the headline. Definitely in the top five of Joe's podcasts. I love that. That's, that's, that's pretty funny. I only have two podcasts and I only appear on four podcasts, Brainwash, but yes, it's in the top five. Thanks for, for that. I think sometimes people, oh gee, read the reviews of our show and they have, maybe we'll confuse them even more, but I think you can see the, the general mood of the show from our reviews. That's going to do it for today. Doug, take it from here, man. What should we have learned today? Sure thing, Joe. You and OG get to tipping a few more back, and I'll tell everybody what they should have learned today. First, take some advice from Ken Honda and create happy money for yourself. Thank your money for coming into your life and thank it for helping you afford to continue living. And that gratitude will change your life. Second, mark your calendar. Next year, you'll want to be ready to put more money in your HSA if you're eligible. But the big lesson, cats up. It's National Ketchup Day. What the hell is cats up? I've been trying to figure that out all day and find out they're spelling it wrong. No wonder the cat just stared at me. Sup, cat? 
Yeah, still nothing. That cat's a jerk. Thanks to Ken Honda for joining us on today's show. You'll find Happy Money, Ken's latest bestseller, wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I swear the worst part about coming over to Joe's mom's house is having to put on pants. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. This is the part of the show that uh, doesn't exist. What happens here stays here if you're new to the show. I love interfacing with our partners. As longtime listeners know, uh, we choose our partners carefully. And uh, I really like the people at Haven Life because they have a similar attitude about work there. By the way, we do not have a date yet, but we plan on coming to New York City soon, and it's going to be at the Haven Life offices. And if you've, oh gee, you've seen the pictures of the office. I mean, it's this wide open space, uh, f- food, drinks, beautiful spot for a get together. It's going to be going to be a lot of fun. We'll have a date fairly soon. But anyway, it's a long way of saying that my friend uh, Brittany over there sent me something and she goes, this is totally, she goes, I thought of you right away. And it totally, oh gee, is you and I. You know how people, a lot of people maybe aren't as direct as you are and they try to get away from using the very direct word. Like if somebody has BO, you you might say something about other things that are related, but not bring up the body odor. What are you telling me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing when people die, right? People pass away. You don't say the word died. So-and-so died. I mean, that's just pretty straightforward. Hey, so-and-so died. Instead, they use different euphemisms for that. So Mental Floss did a study, the most distinctive obituary euphemism for died in every state. If you're an American alive today, chances are you've heard or used one of over a hundred different euphemisms for death. A common reason many people don't just say somebody died is a desire to not want to appear too harsh.
This happens not just in everyday conversation, but also in obituaries we read in newspapers and increasingly online. Are there some expressions for dying that are more prevalent in obituaries than others? Are there regional variations? To find out the answers, I reached out to Legacy.com, a leading online provider of paid death notices. According to the data they provided in 2015, they hosted over nearly 2.5 million obituaries across 50 states in uh, D.C. Of those, over 1.3 million included one of their 10 most common euphemisms or the word died. The top term for died, instead of saying so-and-so died, is what? Passed away. Passed away. Nice job. Used in 32.5% of all obituaries and topped the national list. In every single state, it was either passed away or died that was used most often. The relative prevalence of each of these terms paints a much more diverse picture, however. Using a similar method to the most distinctive cause of the death map, I calculated the difference between the regional and national prevalence of each term. I love, I love applying all this scientific numerology uh, and mathematics to deciding how in statistics to decide which euphemism is used most. The highest value given to the phrase that is most characteristic of that state. As it turns out, some terms are used comparatively more often than others, depending on where you've died. So... By the way, the the Midwest, west of Michigan here, does use died. So if you're from Iowa, Minnesota, north or south Dakota, Nebraska, guess what? You just say died. Also, congratulations, Pennsylvania and Idaho use died. You live in Texas. What's the most used euphemism there? He met his maker. That's close to the one in Oklahoma. Oklahoma is left this world. Ah, yes. So-and-so left this world. No, in Texas, it's entered eternal rest. Ah, yes. You know how you never get enough sleep? Now you can sleep. (laughs) You can. (laughs) Sleep forever. To the bucket. Entered eternal rest is also biggest in, in New Mexico. In California and Arizona, they use a different word. It's a single word. Euphemism for died. We can even, OG, stretch that up into Oregon. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Succumbed. Oh. They succumbed. Don't you succumb to something? Well, you succumb to death. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> uh, in Utah and in Montana, we're a little more, we're a little more, um, Folksy? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's two words. Um, I the only thing I think is passed on, but well that's that's actually close. They slipped away. Huh. If you're Montana or Utah, you you slept away. In fact, left this slipped away. Slipped away. Sorry, slept away. Yeah. Uh you also left this world if you're in Colorado or Wyoming or Washington. It reminds me that I should probably pre-write my obituary because I totally want this to be a joke. (laughs) In Michigan and in Wisconsin, you were called home. Of course. Yes. And by the way, because Michigan and Wisconsin are so beautiful, you were called home. If you live in Ohio, not so beautiful, Buckeyes, you went home. You left Ohio and you went home. Yeah. Probably toward Michigan. Just saying. (laughs) <laughs> that's getting some hate mail uh in new york you uh, you entered eternal rest 
in, what did John Denver do in Colorado? D- don't do that again. In <laughs> in Nevada, I should tell that story. Mary Lou, my my coach, wrote to me and said, "Hey, Joe, John Denver's my favorite singer." And the very first thing OG said is, "Tell Mary Lou was was your favorite singer." <laughs> uh, if you're in Maine or in Nevada, you lost you lost your battle, lost his or her battle. You also went home if you're in Tennessee. You just died in Kentucky. Along the East Coast, New Jersey, Delaware, uh, Maryland, and Virginia, it's like you went on a trip. What's another word for, for going on a trip? You departed. People in the Mid-Atlantic don't die, they depart. It's like they're stuck at Dulles. <laughs> You should have departed by now, but, um, uh, in Illinois, you went to be with his or her or the Lord. And, uh, in Florida, you passed away in South Carolina or in Georgia, you entered eternal rest again, just like Texas. So, uh, I can't link to this. I may put it on my Twitter feed. If you want to take a look at this map or just go to uh, mental floss, funny stuff. Thanks to Brittany at Haven Life for thinking of me becoming a member at navy federal credit union can help you earn more and save more their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as navy federal does for example you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit add money at any time and watch your savings grow Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal's savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval.